This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Perfect. Okay, we're going to do stuff in Megillus Esther today, and it's going to be on two psukim that I've always had issues with and try to figure stuff out, and it's really going to be like the best stuff that I can find. Perik Yud toward the very, very end of the Megillah, it says, He made a tax upon the land, and the islands of the sea. All the greatness, the stories of all the strength and power that the king had done, you can find them in the chronicles of the kings of Mede and Persia. Now, the Gemara indicates, the Gemara tells us actually, and uh, I think it's Yudalaf on the base of Megillah, that whenever it says the words, Hu Achashverosh, it indicates, it says, Hu something, that he was a tzaddik or a Russia his entire life. Like, Hu Avraham is referring to, he was a tzaddik his entire life. Hu Achashverosh, he was a Russia his entire life, from the beginning of his life till the end of his life. But you have to wonder, why was he a Russia? If you think about this, it really shouldn't have been, there shouldn't have been anything evil within what Ahasuerus was doing. He wasn't doing anything that was completely evil. I mean, look, in the beginning, he was manipulated by Haman to be able to destroy the Jews. But in the end, he seems to be a good guy. He ended up giving in to the Jews. That's what it seems like. So why is it all of a sudden he's considered like an evil person, that everything's bad, that he's done something evil, that he's evil from the beginning until the very, very end? How does that, how does that work? Because there was one thing, that killing his, I mean, Bashi was evil. Even better, Right? But there was one thing that Ahasuerus never wanted. And even with the, the, the two tzaddikim that were around him constantly, he had Esther and Mordechai around him constantly, it was one thing he never wanted his entire time. In Daniel, in the very beginning, and in Ezra, I think it's actually in Ezra, it says by Ezra that when Ahasuerus became king, Koresh had already made something, which Koresh had decided that they were going to build the foundations of the base of Mikdash. So he allowed the Jews to go back and they built the foundations. They dug the foundations of the base of Mikdash. They built the foundations of the base of Mikdash and they were ready to go. When Akashverosh became king, everything stopped. He wrote and said, no one, no one is allowed to build up the base of Mikdash. You're not allowed to do anything anymore. You can't build anything further. When Esther made the party both times, she said, Akashverosh he, said to her, you could do up until half of my kingdom, you can go ahead and do it. You can do whatever you want. But you can do whatever you want when it comes down to it. But you can't build the base of Mikdash. I'll give you anything, but not the base of Mikdash. Even at the end of his life, when all the Jews have it good and Hamalik is destroyed and everything's gone, but the base of Mikdash still wasn't rebuilt. Mordecai probably asked for it. You'd assume that other people asked for it, and it just never happened. It didn't happen during that time at all. What does that mean? Why is it? So granted, he wasn't a Russia that he wasn't a sadistic murderer, but he was a person who despised the base of Mikdash and didn't want the base of Mikdash to be rebuilt. No matter how much pressure he got from anyone, that is a Russia. That is a person who defines a Russia. A Russia is somebody who absolutely refused to let anything happen during his time, no matter what. That's the idea behind what happens in this Pasuk. And I'm trying, what we want to say is, He made a tax. He allowed people to do certain things, but he wouldn't go any further than that. He wouldn't take it any further than what it already was. He just allowed it to be just simple, and that's that. And that's just not good enough. And simply put, that's just not good enough from what it was beforehand. just wasn't cool enough. What is the purpose of this puzzle? So why do we say this over here? Why do we call it over here? So we say like this. Rav Tzadok says in Pshat, they were very much afraid of the ruling kingdom. And therefore they put in the beginning of the end of the Megillah something awesome about Ahasuerus. That if you look in the beginning of the Megillah, it says Ahasuerus is unbelievable. You look at the end of the Megillah, Ahasuerus is unbelievable. He's just a person who's in charge. When you're under a certain kingdom you kind of have to give in to them a little bit. So they put in all this stuff about Persian meat and about all these people around there. Rabbi Victor Miller says it was so necessary. You know there are people that say that Megillus Esther was not written by Mordecai and Esther? 
It was written in the times of the Hashemunayim, 250 years later. When the Hashemunayim came around, they not only wrote their book of what was happening during the times of the Greeks, they wrote a book that was entirely about Mordechai and Esther and about what had happened by Purim. But Mordechai and Esther didn't put it together. They did. And somehow this got put in and not the book of the Hashemunayim and stuff like that, which is absolutely unbelievable. Says for Victor Miller, this proves that that couldn't be. It must have been written at a time when Persia was in charge. Because why else would you put in the beginning of the Megillah how awesome Ahasuerus was and at the end of the Megillah how awesome Ahasuerus was? It must be that they were worried about Ahasuerus and they were under Persian rule and that's the reason why it's mentioned over here. Why is that such a Kiddush? The Maral says in Nir Mitzvah, you have to know what Persia is. The Gemara says about Persians that Persian I'm going to qualify this because I know that I'm on video right now and there might be Persian people watching. So this is referring to Persian people 2,000 years ago who are not Jewish. Okay, here we go. So that'll make it a little bit better. The Gemara says that all Persians are like bears. They eat like bears, they drink like bears, they have hair like bears, all over their body like bears, right? And they act entirely like bears. The Pshat says the Maral in saying such a thing. Is that just like a bear goes and tries swallowing everything around it. He's this huge creature that just wants to take over and is a destroying creature, wants to take over everything near him. That's what Akashverosh was. Akashverosh wasn't a creature that wanted to take over everything. And even when he had everything in his, in his fingertips, he had everything he could possibly want. He had 127 Medinos. He still wants more. And that's why he made the taxes at the end. He's a bear. This type of person is not okay with just what he has. He needs to have more and more and more and more to swallow more and more. He always felt like he was missing something. That's the idea behind what it means, that he was a dove, a dove shakul, a bear that was destructive that took over everything over there. That's the idea behind it. There's another reason why this tax was there. He had just heard about a rebellion. One of the reasons why Esther, right? Oh, you're going to have to get him. You want to try? Let's try to rock him. This is the one problem of having it at home. Okay, either way... The Miam Luiz and the Eshkola, the Eshkola Kofer says, Achashverosh knew there were people that were rebelling against him. Haman. Haman had rebelled against him. And his whole idea was he was worried the entire time that Haman was trying to take over the kingdom. And kind of he was. That was a little bit of an issue. There was an issue with Esther as well. But there was something that was happening during that time, especially the Amalekim. In order to take care of all that, says Eshkola Kofer and the Miam Luiz, he purposely made a tax. Why? to weed out all the evil people. What happens when you overtax the people? They're going to start fighting back. So Akashverosh would know exactly who the evil people were, the people that were rebelling against them, and he'd send a huge army up against those people. So he did this tax in order to figure out who's doing what when it comes down to it. He wanted to find out who was going to rebel against them, who would, who has rebelled against them, and that's that. He wanted to find out what, what happened at that point. Divin Ezra says... Do you realize how powerful Akashverosh became? 127 Medinos. Can you imagine anybody nowadays being in charge of 127 Medinos? But back then, you only ruled over the stuff that was right around you. You had no ability to get all the way far, you know, far out there. Even Alexander the Great, how long was he in charge of the world, the known world that he was, that he was known for conquering? How many years? 10 years? 12 years? Alexander the Great did not have it for very long. And Akashverosh, he became so powerful so quickly because of Mordechai. Says Ibn Ezra, it was all because he helped the Jews and he allowed the Jews to go there, and that's what ended up happening as well. The Eshkola Kopra says, even the people that were far away, people that were living in India, in China, all the way in Western Europe, all the people that were really far away that Akashver should not have been able to get, but they were so scared. They were so scared, they sent him gifts. They made, ta- they made sure, they even, so to speak, paid taxes because they were so afraid that Akashver would come after them and do something to them. That's how awesome Akashver was, and it wasn't just because of him. 
we already mentioned before how Achashverosh was worried in the beginning of his kingdom about the base of Mikdash being rebuilt. When he made a sitna and he decided there was no base of Mikdash going to be rebuilt, 113 countries rebelled against him. There are 127 Medinos that he was in charge of, 127 he was in charge of, but there are 240 kingdoms in the world, 240 kingdoms altogether. 127 he ruled over, 113 rebelled against him. There were 113 countries that were completely gone. They wanted nothing to do with them. And the only way that they would come back is when Mordecai was there, all of a sudden they came back. Once he started doing good things for the Jews, 113 countries ended up coming back and made peace with them and they were willing to go through. And not only that, Akashverosh was even willing to tax them and they didn't rebel against them. We know in the beginning of the Megillah that he was in charge of 127 Medinos. That wasn't good enough. He was really in charge of 240. There were 240 Medinos under his, uh, under his auspices, under his dominion. And 113 rebelled against him, and he was able to, at the end of his life, take back those 113, tax them, and take care of all of them. In fact, it could be that he only got it because Mordecai was so successful in his position. He went out, says the Malbim, to the different lands, traveled everywhere, and told them, join our kingdom. If you join us, then he's going to give you something back. Hachashverosh is going to give you something back. And that's what happened over here. It was Mordecai who was behind everything, and he was the one who put everything together. Pashagenak Asav says, if you look earlier in the Megillah, he lowered the taxes. Why did he lower the taxes? We all remember that, right? Why did he lower taxes? Because he wanted to find out who Esther was from. Esther was obviously part of a certain nation, but he had no idea from where. And he said, I'll lower taxes to see where Esther is really from. I want to find out where Esther is really from. Now that he knew that she was Jewish, he said, okay, Jews don't have to pay taxes. Every other nation has to pay taxes. So he raised the taxes for every other nation, but he never made the Jews pay because of Esther. That was the gift that he gave in the beginning. If you tell me where you're from, I'll lower the taxes for your people. And he followed through on it. He ended up following through and doing exactly that, lowering the taxes for the Jews, but keeping the taxes up and raising them for everyone else out there which is kind of an ideal situation for us. It would be an unbelievable thing for him to absolutely take everything back. But the Yismach Moshe, Hasidish Sefer, says literally the exact opposite. Takes the exact opposite view. He didn't show any favoritism to the Jews whatsoever. He raised taxes and in fact made sure that the Jews paid. And according to Hamorsha Megillah, he even made sure. Haman came up to him before and said, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to give you 10,000 Kikar Kesef. 10,000 Kikar Kesef in order to kill all the Jews. I want just stop. We just learned not too long ago, a kikar is how much? A kikar is 3,000 shekel. 3,000 shekel. 10,000 kikar kesef is 10,000 times 3,000. That's 30 million shekel kesef. 30 million shekel kesef. Now, shekel is a weight. Let's say, let's say that it's an ounce and a half of silver. An ounce and a half. You're dealing with almost $500 per shekel of silver that Haman was willing to pay. 30 million shkalim is what he was willing to pay Haman, uh, willing to pay Achashverosh. 30 million times 500 means he was willing to give Achashverosh, to kill the Jews, one and a half billion dollars. One and a half billion dollars, what do you got? 15 billion? Am I off by that? It's 500, right? 1.5. Wait, because it was 30 million, you add on, oh, two zeros plus one, one, 1,500. No, 500. 1,500. Yeah, you're right. It's 1,500. You're right. It's $15 billion. $15 billion. And what did Akashvir say back? He said, I don't want it. I, he said, no, keep the money. I don't need it. I absolutely don't need it. Right? By the way, I, I never went to college. 
I did get all the AP classes, so in theory, I did calculus and I did Cal 2, but I never got anything more than that, so I do feel somewhat bad. But, you know, the multiplication. Oh, yeah, that's right, also. Yeah, so anyway, anyway, but altogether, it ended up being, it was $15 billion, and he went over to the Jews after everything was said and done, and he turned to Akashverosh and he said to him, Akashverosh turned to them and said, I lost $15 billion because of you guys. I didn't take the money from Haman, and in the end, right, you guys cost me $15 billion. He said, raise it. You go yourselves. You owe me $15 billion. And he taxed them. He taxed the Jews. When it says, that he made this tax, it wasn't on the rest of the people. It was on the Jews themselves, according to Moshe Begil and Nisis Moshe. He told them to do it. You want to take the money away from other people? You can, but that's what it's supposed to You owe me all of that money. So some say after that, that they went to the Amalekim that they had destroyed and took, although they didn't take any spoils from themselves, they took from the spoils that they were allowed to take and gave it, they ended up giving it over to the other people, meaning to Akashveres, to pay for their taxes that they themselves owed. But that was the bad thing. So the Pashagnik Sav said that they didn't know any taxes whatsoever. It's only the other nations that needed it. But according to the Ismach Moshe, he did, they did have to pay it. What's up? Well, Mordecai inherited the woman. So you could pay it from Haman's stuff yeah. itself because he probably had $15 billion well, that he was willing he to pay originally. So he must have had it. Right. So Esther would have just been able to pay it off. Maybe that's exactly what happened. Maybe that's exactly what happened. The Jews ended up not paying any taxes because Esther and Mordecai just gave the money straight ahead to Ahasuerus and did that. Although you should know there is a big machlokas, what they did with that money. And it's likely that that money went toward the construction of the base of Mikdash. How did they get so much money? Darius II gave them a ton of stuff. But you have to have millions, billions of dollars to build the, the likes of what the second base of Mikdash was. The huge building that they had. Who was financing this? Darius II had some money, but it says how much he gave. Who had everything else? It was Haman's stuff. All of Haman's money was given directly to the base of Mikdash. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Imagine. I'm, I'm just, imagine looking toward the old city. And seeing the Dome of the Rock. And the Dome of the Rock is supposedly covered with tons of gold, right? And people wonder how we're going to pay for the third base of Mikdash. I, I, I know we shouldn't wonder because we're Jews and we'll take care of that. But the third base of Mikdash, where's the money going to come from? You know where it's going to come from? From there. From that gold. And they're going to give it willingly. Because they're going to say, you're right. You were right the whole time. We were wrong. So in order to build the base of Mikdash, take it. Take everything. Take it all down, give it to yourselves, and use it to build the base of Mikdash. And that's exactly what happened here. Can anyone believe that you could look at Haman's palace, Haman's palace, and say, that's what's going to be used to rebuild the base of Mikdash. That's going to be used to make the third, second base of Mikdash. Nobody thought that way. But that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly what's going to be by the third base of Mikdash. Who knows if all of the money that goes toward any commercial to the Super Bowl, right? Three and a half million dollars, four million dollars for a 30-second spot. All of that money will be donated to the Jews to build the base of Mikdash. All of the money for every commercial that's made in the Super Bowl. Because why not? That's what it's used for. Everybody's going to realize that. I'm not comparing Haman to the Super Bowl. I think Haman's a lot better than that. But regardless, it, it, there's, it, there's something there behind it. Yeah, no, what were you going to say? Well, Abraham, when Abraham went to Abraham, he said, I don't want to decide that you made me wealthy. By the king of Sodom. Yeah. Didn't want to say to be able to do that. And yet Shlomo Melech used Chiram Melech Tzur to be able to build the second base of Mikdash. Also, Avram did take money from Paro, right. Melech Mitzrayim. So that already is a steer that's answered in a bunch of different ways. I think I have a shear on it about six years ago. Exactly on that. The steer between why you wouldn't take any money from Sodom, but he would take money from Paro Melech Mitzrayim. It depends on what the money is used for and if the people are really donating it, you know, Lashem Shemayim, or they're doing it on their own, right? They're just doing it because they want the, the kavod. This might be 
be that they're doing a Lashem Shemaim and therefore it goes through. And Munasi Techa, page 283, says that when the Megillah started, Akashverish made huge taxes on the people, which made him so wealthy he was able to pay for a 187 day party. How did he pay for the party? Because of the massive taxes that he made when he was first in charge. And Akol Nasu Russian Biyamov, he's called Akashverosh for that reason. Everybody became poor in his days because of that. He lowered the taxes in honor of his marriage to Esther, but later he brought the taxes back when everything went back to normal. Unfortunately, it's a lesson in Judaism, says Munasitha, says Revolson. Everything starts over again. We think we're done with Haman. We don't have to worry about Akashverosh. It's not true. There's always a Haman. There's another Haman that's coming up. There's another Akashverosh. There's somebody else who's there, and that's the idea of why we take a grager on Purim. It's just around Robin. It happens again and again and again. We start the Megillah, and there's taxes. And then the Suda's made, and then the Jews are almost killed, and then we end with taxes being given. It's as if you could read the Megillah all over again. End the Megillah this way, and start over. Because that's the way our world works when we're Jews. It goes one to the other. Note that this is the only time where Akashverosh is written the way it is. It's, the way we read it is Akashverosh, but it's written Aleph Ches Shin Reishin. It doesn't have the Vav inside there. It's written as Akash Rosh to tell you that we became poor from these taxes that Akash Verosh did. Many people became poor during that time, says Miamloes. They couldn't pay the taxes until Akash Verosh literally had taken over a few more kingdoms and then charged them and was able to get through them. The Ramon is Mechir Yain says it's all a remez. And I'm not going to go through the remez. The remez is awesome, but it's a huge remez area. The Chsam Sofer, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make any sense. You pay a few taxes and everybody becomes poor. That's not how taxes work. I mean, it does sometimes. In Illinois. Yeah, maybe, maybe in certain states, right? It's like that. But normally, it's not all that horrible. You don't have that, where all of a sudden people just become poor because they're paying a few taxes. That's not what happens. How did everybody become poor in his time? Why does the Gemara say everybody became Russian Biyama? They became poor in his time because of this. He says the most brilliant shot. Whenever it says the word mas, mem samach, it is not a monetary tax. It is a human tax. The king is taking people to work for him. It happened by Shlomo Malach. He made a mass and he had all the people working for him. Certain months of the year, everybody had to work for him. He did the exact same thing by Paro. Paro made sorry misim, officers of taxes. The Jews didn't pay any money that we see. We don't see them giving up any money. We see them using their bodies and slaving over all the work that they had to do for Paro. That we see. We don't see anywhere where they had to actually pay money. By Akash as well, when he says it made a tax, they made a mass. Originally, the tax was that people had to work for Achashverosh. And that's the shot behind when Haman said, the Jews waste our time by saying, Shehi Pehi, Shabbos Yom, Pesach Yom. We can't work for you today, Achashverosh. We can't be, you know, we, we have certain days where everybody's supposed to work, but we can't work for you because it's Shabbos today. It's a holiday today. We can't work for you on these days. There's nothing we can do. Said Haman, they never work for you. All these other people are taxed and the Jews aren't taxed. So he came up with a brilliant plan, said Achashverosh. Fine. It's a, it's a goof tax. You have to pay with your body and you have to work for me. And if you don't work for me, then you have to give me a ton of money. You're going to have to pay it off instead. And many Jews who couldn't do it had no choice but to pay a ton of money and became poor. That's what it means. Because either they sat there and they had to work with their bodies or they used up all of their money. They took all of their money because they had to pay their way out of it so they wouldn't have to worry about that stuff. So they got themselves out of it completely or people faked it. Because what happens when people have to pay taxes and they don't really want to? They just simply vote they don't do it. They, they pretend like they don't have any money. 
It's not that literally they became poor. They pretended to be poor so that they wouldn't have to pay cash the taxes. Business started now. Yeah, that's exactly right. it. It's all cash business, and then they hide everything inside. They don't give anything to any banks, and then you didn't have to worry about anything. We're going to end with one little piece. Rabbi Elizabeth Gamiza says, 127 countries were ruled by Akashverosh. 100 are on the land, 27 are in the sea. It says, the rem is in this puzzle. Mem Samach is the gematria of a hundred. Ala Oretz, there were a hundred on the land. The Ie Hayam. And there were 26, 27, I should say. Vav Alav Yud Yud is the gematria of 27. They were on the sea. There were 27 islands, 27 islands, right, so to speak. 100 land places that Achashverosh ruled and 27 islands that Achashverosh ruled. And it's hinted to in the Pasuk itself. The Tiferes Shlomo says, if you look at the Luchos, there were two letters that were Benes Hayu Omdin. They were standing with a miracle. The Mem and the Samach. Why were they standing with a miracle? Because the middle of the letter was not attached to anything and yet still stood in place. And not only that, remember the Luchos, you could read them from both sides. So it was straight through. There was nothing holding it together and yet still they were there and they stood right there. Benes Hayu Omdin. They were miraculously put in exactly where it was supposed to be. Letters were Mem and Samach. That's Mas. Mem Samach. It also refers to the Sam, obviously referring to that. But he says the following. You want to stand benaced? You want to be a miracle? You want to be a miracle person? Make sure to say a hundred brachos a day. If you say a hundred brachos a day, you're guaranteed to have everything that's good in life. And David Melech originally instituted it. It's very easy if you're able to daven all three tefillahs. You daven chakras min kamarif, you easily have 92 brachos without doing anything else. You have 92 just from davening a regular chakras min kamarif. You want to add on benching. You wash one time a day and you bench, that's another six. You have 98 washroom or something else that you eat and you're perfectly good. You don't have to worry about anything else. And that's 100 brachos every single day. 100 brachos is referred to by the mas over here. And the mas, remember, the gra says that every time that the word melech appears without Akashverosh, it refers to Akadosh Baruch Hu itself. Now over here it does say Akashverosh, but it's not spelled correctly. So it's possible by Yosnem HaMelech Mas. Keep out Akashverosh because it's not spelled in the right way. The Melech, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, made us do a Mas. He find us and told us, you should do a hundred brachos a day. And if you do a hundred brachos a day, everything will be fine. You don't have to worry about anything. Everything will be there for you. You'll live lives filled with miracles and you'll be taken care of from the Sam, the Satan, the evil Satan and everything that's there. That's a hint also on Hanukkah. Not only in Purim do we see that word Mas, but on Hanukkah we have the Pach Shel Shemen. Pach is again, Pei Chaf is the gematria of 100 to tell us that if we do this correctly, if we take our Purim and our Hanukkah and we improve ourselves to the point where we say to ourselves, you know what, I'm going to take on brachos for myself. I'm going to count up my brachos. I'm going to do 100 brachos a day. Then you're going to get to the point where you're living a life filled with miracles. A life where the Hanukkah miracle seems like nothing. The Purim miracle seems like nothing. Everything is there for you. It's an awesome level, an unbelievable idea, and something that seriously we could do correctly. So what do we say today? We just said, Akashverosh made a tax. The tax was either a good thing for the Jews or a bad thing for the Jews. Akashverosh was either a hypocrite and a horrible person, a Russia meets Sofo, or he was somebody who really wanted to look out for the Jews, and Mordechai was able to help him tremendously in everything that he did. It's possible that Akashverosh made everyone poor, and made everyone poor in order to make sure that he had his taxes, whatever those taxes were. And the end, 127, the answer, the, 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 I guess the rem is, goes into Mem Samach, that Misim really refers to the 100 brachos that a person should make every single day. Shukai, everyone. Have a great Freyla Kampurum. Kampurum.